Well, good morning. So good to see you all here today in the auditorium, and good morning to everyone in the venue. My name's Adrian. If we haven't met, love to connect you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free, and up on stage with me is Sebastian Traeger. I will introduce Sebastian to you in just a moment in terms of his background. And uh, before I do that, I just want to echo something that Jordan said in the venue and Carrie said here as it relates to our life groups and care ministries. Just as a reminder, we really kind of envisioned though, that you'd have uh, three areas though, that you consistently commit to. A Sunday morning or Sunday evening worship service where you get the truth of the gospel on a consistent basis. Second, a life group or care ministry of some kind, a men's group, women's group, where you can be in community with others. And then third, some area of mission that you are making a difference in other people's lives through the church and for the benefit of God's kingdom. And we know that if we do one of each of those three, then we will change over the course of this next year. That's kind of our pathway for Christian growth. So just really want to encourage you, if you don't yet have a life group community or care group community, please consider, well, one of those uh, booths after the service in the uh, lobby area. Well, again, up on stage, we are really, really grateful to have uh, Sebastian Traeger with us today. And Sebastian was with us yesterday as he led a wonderful conference, uh, The Gospel at Work. And uh, we had a number of people from various churches in our area over in the venue as we learned together. And I, I just got to tell you, I personally was so enriched by yesterday. Truly, I was so enriched. Sebastian is a very, very gifted teacher. Uh, one of the coolest things about him speaking today is he's not a pastor. Mm-mm. Doesn't that sound good? We're going to talk about work from someone who's not a pastor. Isn't that good? Uh, Sebastian, uh, let me give you just a little bit of his bio, not much, but uh, he grew up around Philadelphia. He went to Princeton University, graduated well with a degree in politics in 1996. 1996, and then thereafter, he became an entrepreneur, and he's been a serial entrepreneur ever since. He started a number of different companies, including these. Uh, Village Phone in El Salvador, Christianity today, or Christianity.com, excuse me, Christianity.com, Razoo.com, FiveStreet.com, and perhaps a couple others as well. Um, he's also written a wonderful book, a wonderful little book that I've referred to in our series, The Daily Grind. It's called The Gospel at Work, and we thought we'd have copies of these today. They didn't come in yet. If you'd like to order one out of the Sunday to Everyday Table, you're most welcome to go and order them there for only 10 bucks, or you can go buy them on Amazon.com or some other place uh, for about $12, but you can uh, order them at that table if you'd like, and we'll have some next week. Uh, but I personally am really, really grateful though, that Sebastian's here. I think you're going to learn so much from him today. He is married to uh, Nikki, and they have three children, Alex, Wesley, and Anna Lee. Um, he lives in Richmond, Virginia, and we are so grateful that, that he's here all the way to Kearney, Nebraska from Richmond. Would you please give a very warm welcome to Sebastian Traeger? Thanks. Brother, if it's okay, I'm just going to pray for you, and we'll, we'll, we'll launch in. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, for the wonderful worship today and the opportunity we have together in community and the opportunity we have each and every Sunday to learn a little bit more about the truth of the gospel and how it would apply to our lives. And that's critical with today's message. We ask, God, that you would embolden Sebastian, that you would uh, grant him joy as he teaches us, and you would help us to really learn and to apply and perhaps even be inspired about how we can apply this to our lives tomorrow morning. We love you, and we thank you for this day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. All 
thanks, Pastor Adrian. It is, it is a joy to be here with you all. Thank you, uh, Carney E. Free. It's been really fun to be here in central Nebraska as well. Uh, as, as he mentioned, I'm from the Philadelphia area, which is pretty different, and so it's just really fun to get to experience the heartland and this part of the, of the country. And you all have been such a warm, uh, warmly welcome me, so thanks. I am, I am a numbers person. Uh, as Adrian mentioned, I'm, I'm really more of a business person than I am a pastor per se, although I've, I've done both. And so quick, few numbers. As, as he mentioned, I'm married to one woman. One small detail, I actually have four kids. We have a, we have a two-year-old as well. We sometimes forget about her as well, but uh, uh, some people around our age decide to get puppies. We decided to get another baby. So she's been amazing, a huge joy and a blessing to us. Um, in addition to working, um, one other thing I did, I spent four years working uh, for the International Mission Board, which is the Southern Baptist Missions Organization. And so uh, the, the, the IMB, as it's known, uh, we have 4,000 missionaries around the world. And I, I, another number, I visited probably about 30 countries with that organization. And so uh, also care deeply about missions and what God's doing around the, the world. And as Adrian mentioned, I have started a number of companies. How might I do that? Well, I've got a name which is called a serial entrepreneur. Whenever you hear that phrase, what, what it should really have you think about is not like, wow, that's really impressive, but wow, that guy's probably made a ton of mistakes in business because the only way you ever get anything to work is you, you try a lot of really bad ideas. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all my bad ideas, but know that I probably have had about 100 of those if you want one more number. And then finally, as Adrian mentioned, I wrote a book called The Gospel at Work. And the reason I wrote that book is just as somebody who is working every day going to a church, I started thinking, why does God have us work 80,000 hours, right? Why do we spend 80,000 hours of our lives thinking and working in, in things that can feel not necessarily meaningful or purposeful? Or why do we, you know, kind of why do we have jobs that we might not like? And as I thought about that, that topic a lot, I really started to see God's purposes for our work. You know, I started to see that if we're in a job we love, we, we've got a tendency to maybe make an idol of that work, of, of to elevate that work above our relationship with the Lord. And if we're in a, a job we don't really like, we can be tempted to be idle in our work, ideally not really care about it, not see God's purposes. But again, I think by God's grace, the gospel really impacts our work. It helps us see how our work has purpose and meaning far beyond that. So I'm thrilled that you all as a church family are going through uh, a series on work. I hope it's been a huge blessing to all of you. And I'm going to continue uh, today uh, in that series, and I'm going to be talking about uh, what it means to be a boss or an employee. That's what I really want, to, want us to think about. And I hope this topic is relevant for everybody. I think this topic uh, of authority matters whether you are a boss or an employee, whether you're uh, a, a mom or a dad who's got authority over kids under you, whether you're a teacher, a policeman. So many of us have authority in all that we do, and so many of us are called to submit to authority that my hope is that this topic is not simply relevant for those who are in the workplace, but, but really for everybody. So when I, when I mention to you that I'm going to give a talk about a boss, bosses, what image comes to mind when you think about it? Right? What image comes to mind when you think of a boss? You know, I think, think bosses, when we kind of think about office environments, there can be so many different images that come to mind. Uh, I, I think so many complaints that we hear or, or tensions that we find with our friends and with our family members has to do with authority that's over us. 
right? It, it might be the rules at the gym. It might be the homework assignment I get that's so unfair. It might be the speeding ticket I didn't really get, right? I wasn't really speeding. But there's a constant tension that we feel in submitting to authority. We all struggle with it in some way, whatever that authority is. You know, it might even be because, let's face it, we sort of feel like we know better than the authorities that are over us. You know, there's such a tension in the workplace, especially between the kind of boss-employee dynamic, and, and a lot of these are humorous, right? So there's an entire TV series made up about the humor that we find in the workplace. Uh, if you guys have ever heard of or seen the TV show The Office, you know that that entire thing is about the hilarity between bosses who are insecure and want everyone to like them, and employees who just enjoy kind of talking behind the boss's back and doing something. One of my favorite quotes from The Office is uh, Michael Scott, you know, this, the, this is, the, I think, the perfect picture of the insecure boss. Like, I have flaws. What are they? I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit someone with my car, you know. Why is a show like The Office funny? Why is it funny for us to think about those tensions? Well, I think it's because if we've been in a classroom or a work environment long enough, we may have experienced something of what The Office is parodying. Right? That, again, that insecure boss that thinks he knows everything, who desperately wants everyone to like him. The complaining, petty, conniving co-workers kind of behind the scenes, and then dysfunction at every level. Right? We, we feel this tension. So is this our fate when it comes to authority in the workplace? Is this, is this the way it is and that we're just stuck with it? And the best we can hope for is hilarity such as ensues in the office. Is that the best we can get? Well, I think the Bible actually says that when the righteous rule, people flourish. When the righteous rule, people flourish. So if we're an authority, how can we be those kinds of people who help, help others flourish? And if we're under authority, how can we joyfully submit to it in such a way that we're going to flourish? And what if we don't feel like we're, we're being an authority figure who, who should be living like that? Or what if we don't think we're submitting to authority the way we should? Well, I think the Bible gives us answers to all these questions. And so let's go ahead and dive in and see what the Bible has to say on this topic of being a boss or being an employee. Now, there's one big idea I really want to get across to you during today's message. There's one big idea. And that big idea is that God delegates authority to bless his creation and to shape his people. God delegates authority to bless his creation and to shape his people. That's really what I want to get across and, and hope you understand that. So let's unpack that a little bit. First point is that God delegates authority. God delegates authority. So it's critical to understand that the story of work uh, doesn't begin with us, right? The story of work and authority doesn't begin with us. It actually begins with God. God is a worker, and the Bible begins with his work. Right? In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and in the first two chapters, we're told seven times that God created, and 12 times that he made something. So all of this creating and making is summarized in verse Genesis 2-2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. See, the Bible tells us that because God created everything, he is the authority over everything, right? He has authority over all of us. 
do you realize that God has authority over you? You know, it's my guess that in a room this size of people, this might be a new idea to at least one of you, that Christians believe that God has authority over our lives. And that's true whether you believe it or not. God has authority over our lives. Now, it's, it's the fundamental truth, and this is where that story uh, really begins, but the crowning achievement of all God's creation are not the stars, they're not the DNA, that's not the crowning achievement. The crowning achievement of all God creates is us, it's people. And he says this in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So like the rest of all of creation, we are a work product of God. But we're unique in all of creation and that we are made in God's image. And that means we were created to, to image, to reflect, and to represent God to the world. And so, and, and, and so God then does something amazing. In verse 128, uh, God gives us humans a specific assignment. In verse 128, he says, uh, God blessed them, man and woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So when God created us, he then delegated authority to us. He gave us not unfettered authority, right? Not do whatever we want, but he gave us bounded, constrained authority that operated underneath his authority and oversight. Our perch at the top of all of creation is not because of our raw strength or of our intelligence. Our perch on the top of create, the created order is a grant of divine authority, right? We have authority because God has delegated and given us some of his authority. How are we to use it? Well, it says in Genesis 1.28, to be fruitful and increase, to fill and subdue, to rule over. So what's the measure of authority that God has given you? You know, every single person in this room has some measure of authority in their life right now. It, it could just be the authority you have for yourself, right? For your own actions, for what you do. Maybe that's the, the, the size of the authority that God's given you. It could be that you have a project that you're in charge of at work, and so God's given you authority over that. If you've got a homework assignment in school, God has given you authority to execute on that assignment. You know, if you're over a team, if you're in charge of a company, a family, maybe a class, in all of these different ways, God has given you authority. So my question is, what are you doing with that authority? How are you stewarding that authority that God has delegated to you? So Adam and Eve were to follow God's direction in how they used their authority. They were to cultivate the garden, not destroy it. Right? They were to care for the animals and rule over them, not cruelly dominate them. Right? Because God is the ultimate authority, we know that our authority also ought to be good and it ought to be loving. 
You see, this is, this is actually a truth that I think is hard for us in our culture to understand, that authority originally and biblically understood is to be a good thing. Authority in our lives is actually a good thing for us. It's to bless us and it's to encourage us. So we don't always see it that way, but that is how we are designed to live. So let me ask you, do you believe that God has authority over your life? Do you see that? And do you see that God's authority in your life is a good thing, meant to bless you, meant to encourage you? And if you're in a position of authority, how are you stewarding that authority that God has delegated to you? Well, that leads us to our second point. Our second point is that authority is meant to bless others. Authority is meant to bless others. So, if God delegated authority to us, how are we then to use that authority that he's given to us? And our authority is meant to reflect God's authority. Our authority is meant to reflect God's authority. So God gave you the measure of authority that you have for the good of those under you, right? Not to serve yourself, uh, but but really to serve others. And the way you exercise and use your authority is effectively telling the people under you what you think about God's authority. Think about that, right? If God gives you authority and you're to exercise authority the way God's authority is, how you exercise that authority is effectively telling other people what you think of God. I think God is a cruel, uh, miserly judge. That's how I'm going to exercise my authority. Or I think God is a generous, loving, caring, uh, caring. That's how I'm going to exercise my authority, right? The way we use our authority over employees, over others, shows what God's authority is ultimately like, and that his authority is good and can be trusted. When we use the authority God gives wisely uh, and respect it, we show the world that that his authority was designed to be a good thing. And you know, the Bible teaches repeatedly that the exercise of authority leads to blessing of those under, right? So Joseph's authority in Egypt, if you think about that, was a blessing to all those under. Uh, Joseph, uh, uh, it allowed that nation to weather seven years of famine because of it. Nehemiah's authority really helped the people rebuild a wall to protect themselves. Uh, I, I love David's last words. One of my one of my favorite word pictures of authority is in, is in 2 Samuel 23, 3 and 4. And this is what David says, who's, who's just basically finishing up being the king of Israel. He says, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. I love reflecting on this passage and thinking about what good authority brings, what it leads to, right? These pictures of authority are life-giving. People under that authority love it and are blessed by it. They're provided for. They're protected. You know, think of your own Scott's Bluff, right? Think of pioneers coming across uh, the Oregon Trail, surviving another day. What must it have felt like, right? What must it have felt like on that morning that they woke up to think, the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless day, or brightness that brings rain to grass, right? They understood the, the, the life-giving nature of sunlight, of water. They understood this. Well, when you use your authority 
to build up and not tear down, to right wrongs and not to perpetuate them, to encourage and not to crush, to work for others good and not your own, the result will be light and life in your workplace. How many of us would describe our bosses this way, right? He or she is like the light of morning on a bright, bright and sunny day. Having this person in my office is like rain coming down and nurturing the grass, right? How many of us would, would, would describe them that way? Or maybe we're going to use more modern words, right? My boss, she is incredible. Uh, she really builds me up. She takes time to mentor me. She cares about my good in the workplace. She wants me uh, to give me good opportunities and, and help me grow in that. It's, it's easy, you know, to point out the flaws in other people's leadership and to point out the, the, the flaws in other people's use of authority. But my question, of course, for you is, how are you doing exercising the authority God gives you? Are you one of these bosses and authority figures who those under you are saying they are like a, a bright sunlight in the morning? They are like the grass that's just been watered. That is what they are like. Would you describe it as that? Well, I, I like to use the phrase um, exercise authority. I like to say that we all who are in authority need to exercise our authority. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, it's just a good verb, exercise. But also, it helps us realize that, that growing in authority is an exercise, right? It's not, it's not necessarily something that comes natural. It's like exercise. And just like exercise, you get stronger and better the more you do it. I, uh, I recently, you know, started doing CrossFit, um, and uh, I, I had to say that because you guys know that uh, whatever happens in CrossFit has to get talked about outside of CrossFit, so I, I just needed to do that. Um, and one thing I've realized doing CrossFit, I started, like, I took, like, a decade off from doing anything uh, physically. I don't, I don't know if you're in that camp, but uh, I did it for about 10 years, took off, decided, just hit the pause button on getting in shape. But I started, and I was in horrible, horrible shape. But slowly but surely, as I've exercised more regularly, I've gotten stronger and more fit. Well, the exercise of authority is just like this, right? Maybe you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not this picture of authority that, that he's talking about. Maybe I'm not exercising my authority that way. I'd encourage you, start working slowly at exercising authority. Take opportunities big and small, whether it's a small project you're working on or big company you're in charge of, your family devotions at night or uh, just dropping your child off at school. Take small and big opportunities to learn to exercise authority and steward it well. And let's all pray for wisdom so that we might be those who, who are those who give out this life-giving, uh, who are life-giving in the way we exercise authority. Well, before I kind of move on from this point, I feel like I need to also note that sadly, authority can be horribly abused. Authority can be horribly abused. You know, most people, I would say, think of authority as a, at best, an annoyance, but sadly, at worst, something to fear, something to be afraid of, right? A necessary evil. And, and sadly, sufficient evidence exists to show that where there is authority, it will most likely be abused. You know, that's not how God designed authority, but it is often what happens to authority in a fallen world. Jesus knew this. He spoke to this. He says in Matthew 20, 25, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great one exercise authority over them. So sadly, 
in a world of sin, far too often lording authority is what we see. Well, why is this? I think it's, it's, it's clear in Genesis 3, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, uh, effectively what Satan was doing was, was trying to undercut God's authority in their lives from day one. Right? His, his first words to Eve were, did God really say? He made a direct assault on God's authority. He questioned the goodness of God's authority. And Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie, and they rejected God's authority in their lives. And you know, the world has never been the same since. You know, when sin entered the world, the creature said, I know better than the creator. Uh, and we've really been doing the same thing, I would say, ever since, Right? When we live our own way outside of God's way, anytime we sin, we're effectively saying, I know better than God. I know better what's better for me than what God knows for me. And so this explains, I think, why we are saddened but not surprised when authority is abused in our world, when others lord it over others. Friends, we need to reject the world's sinful abuse of authority. And we need to determine to use our authority for good as God intended us to use it. You know, a few implications for us. If you're in a position of authority, keep watch over your heart. Make sure you aren't slipping into the world's patterns of lording your authority over others. You know, don't use your authority for evil and selfish purposes. Determine to use it for good as God intended. And, I, and I, I think it's important for me to add, if you've been, if you've experienced any form of abuse under authority over someone, uh, under someone else's authority, I am so sorry for you. This is not how God designed authority to operate. And this is not how God's authority should be operating. You know, God's authority is loving. It is not abusive. So, uh, and also, if you, if you are here and you're under any form of abuse of any sort of authority, I would just encourage you immediately to talk to a pastor or some other person in your life. Uh, this is not the way God has designed things. So, okay, so, so far, we've talked about God's authority, that he's delegated it to us, and that he's given it to us to serve and bless others. But there's really two sides to the biblical understanding of authority— and, and I think we need to talk about both. One side of it is that authority is created by God to be good, but of course the other side of that coin is that good authority needs to be submitted to. Good authority needs to be submitted to. Whoever, who remembers the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anyone remember that movie? I'm kind of dating myself. If you remember that movie, a big component of the movie is when the scary German guy grabs the medallion in the fire and it imprints on his hand. You all remember that? And so, so the Germans are able to kind of generally see where the Ark of the Covenant is because he had the medallion on one side of his hand, but they don't know exactly where it is. But Indy had both sides of the medallion, so he was able to see exactly where it was. Well, that's kind of a picture of authority. If we only get one half of the authority equation right, we can generally get it right. But we really want both sides to be working right, right? We want good authority to be exercised, and we want good authority to be submitted to. And that's really... Point three, and it might be the most controversial for some of you here, and that is that submitting to authority brings blessing to your life. Submitting to authority brings blessing to your life. 
So a passage that I found so key in my life and for anybody who is a parent or student or child uh, or anybody under authority is Colossians 3, 22 through 24. So let's read that. It says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in this passage, Paul challenges us to think about our responsibility as Christians to serve those who are over authority for us. So if you're an employee, one of the ways you are called to honor Jesus is to give yourself for the good of others. As an employee, you give yourself for the good of others. And one of those others that you're to be giving yourself for is your boss. Paul urges us to obey those in authority in everything. Now, this command doesn't apply to sinful things, so we should not, we should not serve our authority in sinful ways, but we should actually serve our authorities in stupid ways, right? So if, if your boss is asking you to do something and you're just like, that doesn't make sense, that's stupid, I don't think it, well, I think this passage applies to you, right? We are to do what our bosses ask as an act of submission to them because ultimately it's, it's not our bosses who we finally answer to, but we finally answer to the Lord Christ, right? The Lord is watching how we are submitting to authority, one way we can, we can think about submitting to authority is like training wheels, right? It's like riding a bike with training wheels. And as we submit to the authorities God has placed in our lives, we learn what it means to submit to God's authority in our lives. So submitting, uh, you know, this, this dog is obviously not submitting, but the dog, as it learns to ride this, this bike, uh, as we learn to submit to authority, really what we're doing is God is teaching our hearts how to submit to his authority in our lives. You know, for, for some of you kids who are here, realize that as you obey your parents when they ask you to do things, what they're really trying to shape and teach you to do is ultimately obey your heavenly father. And so by obeying your parents, that's a small way. God has put them in an authority position over you. And so as you submit to them, you are learning what it means to submit to, to the Lord uh, Lord God. So, so what, what should our posture look like as we submit to authority? How should we submit to authority for those who are under it? Well, I'm going to give you three quick ways. You can think of this as kind of a, you can use this almost as your own submission diagnostic, right? Like grade yourself in these three areas. How am I doing submitting across these three ways? And what does the Bible say? The first one is, are you happy happily submitting to authority? Are you happily submitting to authority? Again, as long as your bosses aren't asking you to sin, we should obey those in authority with sincerity of heart, right? Not with a plastic smile or it rage inside of us so frustrated that we're being asked to do something. It is easy to submit to a boss when, when they are a paragon of kindness, respect, and goodwill. But when your boss is a flat-out jerk, or is arrogant, or is self-absorbed, how you respond reveals your heart, right? Whether you're working for the king or not. So we want to be happy in our submission to authority. You know, for me, this, is, this has been a challenge. It's interesting how, um, 
how our language even contributes to this. I had one working relationship with the authority over me. I, I started to give uh, the affectionate name of the jokers to that authority, uh, those authorities in my life. And you can imagine that was not a term of endearment. And so I would get together with a friend of mine. I was ah, can you believe what the jokers are having me do this time? And uh, one day, this godly friend of mine said to me, he said, do you think referring to them as the jokers is helping you happily submit to them, or do you think it's doing the opposite? Well, obviously, it was doing the opposite, right? Uh, and so even the way we talk about the authorities over us shapes our hearts and attitudes towards them. So if, if you're struggling with a difficult situation with a boss or a coworker, tr try this. I would say start praying for that, that boss every day. Start praying for that authority figure in your life. Pray for their family, Pray for their relationships. Pray for their circumstances and their challenges. Pray for their salvation. And, and more than anything, pray that you would grow in being able to serve happily under their authority. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything they say. It doesn't mean they're going to treat you any different. But just pray that God would change your heart towards that authority that he has given you. Sort of a second diagnostic question. Are you humble in submitting? Are you humble in submitting? So more than a few of our work problems stem from a feeling that something we've been asked to do is beneath us, right? I'm so much more valuable than that, right? We, we kind of think we know better or we should be doing something better. What kind of thinking, where does that thinking exist in the Christian's life, right? After all, if we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't we be shouldn't we expect that we're going to be doing a whole lot of things that aren't commensurate with our status, right? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, have this mind among yourselves, that Christ, who, though he was in very form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on the cross. So, so all of us recognize we are never, ever, ever, ever in any job going to stoop as low as Jesus stooped to save us from our sins, right? And so our attitude should be one of humility. Third diagnostic, do you complain in your submission? Are you one who complains in your submission? You know, it is a rare and powerful witness not to complain at work, right? Complainees tends to be the language in the coin of the realm in the workplace. It's pretty easy to bond over complaining, right? So when someone comes along and complaint isn't their native language, they sort of stand out. Again, as, as Christians, let's try to be those very people who stand out in this way. Philippians 2, 14 through 16, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or, or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a, of a crooked generation. And then here's what he says that's incredible. He says not complaining leads to shining like stars in the world. So by not complaining, we can actually shine like stars in the world, right? That's, that's the kind of picture that Paul gives us. Just from something as small as not complaining, here we can shine like stars. That's where it, it leads. So again, not to say it's, it's easy to do that, to not complain, it's incredibly hard, right? We naturally want to complain, right? We naturally want to point to the injustice that we feel in the workplace. We naturally want to do this. But again, uh, as Christians, we want to be marked 
by a spirit of dogged determination not to grumble and complain in what we do. So, so let, me, let me conclude. Let me bring this to a close. How can we be good bosses? How can we be joyful workers? Right? How can we, we be that? It's not a list of rules. Right? It's, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just more discipline. Uh, I, I hope you didn't hear all these practical examples I gave and just think, I just need to start doing that. I'm going to write myself a note every day to not do this. Yes, at some level, we need to be disciplined in that. But, but none of us in our own power are ever going to be able to be good bosses or joyful workers outside of, of Christ. So, so ultimately, to be a good boss or a joyful worker, it needs to be gospel-motivated and grace-empowered, right? Hopefully, hearing all of this leads us to see why the gospel is so necessary in all of our lives, right? God is our king. He has authority over all of us. And because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's first sin, and because our, our ongoing sin, we have rebelled against God's authority in our lives, Right? And because of our rebellion against God, none of us, none of us can possibly be made right with God on our own. There's no, there's no amount of, of new discipline or new things that are ever going to make us right with God. Right? We, we never will. We are hopelessly lost outside of, of Christ. But thanks be to God, Christ came. God sent his own son to live a perfect life, to live a perfect life of obedience, a perfect life of submission to his authority, and a perfect life of, of loving others who are under his authority. Christ came to seek and save the lost. He humbled himself for our sake. He died a death that we deserved on the cross. He died as a substitute for all of us who would place our faith and our trust in him. And he rose from the dead, right? He rose from the dead, proving that he had the power over sin. That even sin, the same sin that, that all of us will die from, has no power over him. And so for all of us, our response is to place our faith and trust in Christ. To repent of our sin, to turn from that sin, and to trust in Christ. Only then can we have the hearts and the minds that we need to, to live as good bosses and joyful co-workers. So more than being a good boss or a good coworker today, if, if you have never come to know Jesus as your own Savior, I would encourage you today uh, to, to place your faith in Christ. Talk to a pastor, talk to someone else who you came with, but trust in Christ with your life. And if you're here desiring to be a good boss and a good coworker, one who stewards authority well and one who submits to authority well, then I would encourage you, trust in Christ's power in your life and the Holy Spirit power in your life to give you what you don't already have within yourself, to grow you as an authority as you exercise it well, and to grow you as one who submits to authority as you submit to him. You know, the, the gospel empowers us to make much of Christ, so let's do that all in our lives. Let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Lord, I do praise and thank you for your word and for the gospel. Lord, we praise you that in your word you have helped us to see uh, what it means that you are a perfect authority in our lives. Pray that we would grow in trusting you and trusting in your authority in our lives. Lord, pray also that you would empower us to be good authorities, life-giving authorities, uh, to those who you have entrusted to us. And Lord, help us to grow in learning what it means to submit to authority. Lord, I do pray especially for those 
who have, uh, who have felt any, any level of abuse under authority, I pray for them especially, that you would bring them healing, and Lord, that they would be able to see that you are a perfect authority and can be for them. Lord, for all of us, help us to grow in wisdom and grace as we live all this out. We ask all this in your son's name.